And so, Father, this morning we thank you and we love you so much. Thank you for an opportunity again to know you more. We ask that you flood our hearts with the revelation, knowledge of your son, Jesus. Fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that we walk worthy of you unto what pleasing, bearing fruits to you. We thank you, Father, that today is a good day to know you more. We pray the Lord to the glory of your name. We will live for you and we will bear fruit. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We love you, Lord. Are you ready for the word? You don't look like you're ready. Are you ready for the word? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now we quickly want to continue with our teaching on the five crowns in heaven. Or what we call heaven's reward system. Heaven's reward system. I also have a new title today for it. You can also call it the doctrine of rewards. The doctrine of rewards. I think that title is really powerful for me. So I think you can edit it on the uh, podcast that we have. The doctrine of rewards. Hallelujah. Uh, the reason why I feel or believe that this teaching is so very vital for us as a church is because many are ignorant of this reality. Many Christians feel or think that being a Christian is just going to church. Or just giving an offering. Or just being committed to your normal Sunday routine. But you see, it's spiritually childish to think that way. Because Christianity is more than that. If there is a savior involved in this matter of salvation... then there is a life to live for him. Hallelujah. You know, in Exodus 12, we remember that Israel was in captivity for 430 years. And it was time for Israel to be redeemed and brought out of Egypt. Now, you need to pay attention to this. So, in bondage, God sent Moses. Moses performed about 10 solid miracles. There was only one final one that brought Israel out of captivity, which was the miracle of the Passover. Now in the Passover, God told them to take a lamb without blemish and sacrifice the animal by killing the animal. And applying the blood of the animal on their doorpost. And God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. 
Then also God told them to roast the flesh of the animal. And as they apply the blood on the doorpost, while they are inside the room, they were supposed to be feeding on the roasted body of that lamb. Then, God also told them that they should bake unleavened bread. That means bread that doesn't have yeast in it. Most of the bread we eat today has yeast in it. But God says that bread shouldn't be leavened. So it was an unleavened bread. To the extent that God told them to go to their homes, their houses, and remove every kind of living in their homes. In fact, it was believed that if there was a living maybe on the floor and you discover it and then you take the living out you are supposed to scrap that place so they scrapped the place even so that it is clean of living if it's in the night you need to take a lamp today in our time is a torchlight to check whether there's living if you find one you clean it and then you take it out because without living you'll be cut off from israel then God told them to prepare because they were about to journey out of the promised land into the land of promise. Now, you need to follow what I'm saying carefully because that story was not an ordinary story. It's a journey in the message I'm giving you today. Because the salvation of Israel from Egypt is just a simple picture of our salvation from sin. Egypt signifies the world. It signifies bondage of sin and corruption. That was our state. The state of Israel was our state. It was our actual state in the spirit. We were in bondage to sin. Pharaoh represents the devil or the slavery of sin. Moses was a picture of Jesus Christ because he was the mediator of the old covenant just like Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Moses had to use blood to redeem Israel. Jesus had to use his own blood to redeem man from sin. That lamb was a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm seeing is that the blood of the lamb that was applied on their doorpost was for their salvation from death. Now, follow the line. The blood was for what? So, when a man believes Jesus Christ, the blood has worked out his salvation. So, the blood was for salvation. So, any man that had the blood was saved from the angel of death. Today, anyone that believes in the blood of Jesus, because for you to put the blood or apply the blood on your doorpost was a sign of faith. So, anyone that has believed Jesus Christ has applied the blood. How do we apply God's blood? By faith. So, if you are in a room, you are in a room of safety. Today, we are not in a room, we are in Christ. Because of his blood. That's salvation. Good news. But do you know inside the room they were supposed to be doing something? They were supposed to be feeding on the flesh of the lamb. Now who is the lamb? Christ. So the blood was for their salvation. Now that they are saved or they are in the room which is being in Christ, they were supposed to be feeding. Why do we feed? The same lamb that brought your salvation is the same lamb that brings your growth. The same lamb that was responsible for your salvation is the same lamb that is responsible for your growth. But for you to grow, you must feed. So in the room, they were to be feeding. 
They wouldn't say, oh, we are just saved, so that's all. They were to be feeding. In Christ, we are to be feeding on him. Because that food they ate gave them strength to journey for many days without food. So, your journey in the Christian life is actually dependent on how well fed you are in Christ. So, there are many who are in the room, salvation, but they are not feeding on the lamb. God told them to feed on, number one, the head of the lamb, the intestine of the, of the lamb, and the legs of the lamb. Three, only three, the rest of the, don't eat it. You are to feed on the flesh of, the head of the lamb, the intestine of the lamb, and then the legs of the lamb. And we know the lamb is Christ, right? So that means when we feed on Christ, we are empowered to think like him, live like him, and walk like him. So our life, our thoughts, and our walk can only be saturated to the extent of how saturated we are in feeding him or feeding on him. Are you following this, this thing? Then now, after they were, you know, they were supposed to take living from their homes. Now, in the Bible, living signifies sin. They were to take living out of their homes. That means, now that we are saved, the next thing to do is to take sin out of our lives. So, do you see that this salvation thing is not that I'm born again, no. I'm born again. It's like someone who got married and then she's, the person is just showing the ring to friends. It, it, it is not this, the marriage is not this ring. The marriage itself is work. So, you can show your ring and still fail in marriage. Are you following this thing? So, salvation is not that I am in Christ. Remember after salvation, they were supposed to feed. Then they were to what? Remove living. That is take sin out of their lives. Then they were supposed to prepare for the journey into their inheritance. It's the same. After we are saved, the next thing we do is to grow by feeding on Christ. Then we begin to live lives, getting sin out of us, our lives. That's living in purity. You get rid of sin out of your life. Then now you prepare the journey of entering into your inheritance in Christ. And today that is what we are doing. Do you know they began all that thing on the same day? That means the very moment you get born again, that is the very moment you must start growing, the very moment you, start, you must start dealing with sin in your life, and the very moment you must start preparing for eternity. And that's the foundation of her teaching for the doctrine of rewards. We explained that there are five crowns we record in the New Testament. And we said the crowns is not metallic. The crowns is symbolic. Today when you see a man in a crown, the crown actually symbolizes his value and not the value itself revealed in the crown i don't i don't know if you get what i'm saying so the crown is of value for what it implies not for what it is and we said crowns in the bible signifies number one royalty exaltation and honor when you see a crown that means the man has been exalted number two we said the crown signifies authority a man's crown signifies his authority Number three, we said, a crown is that which separates men from men. What separates um, any person from Kumasi from Otunfo is his crown. 
Number four, we said it represents beauty and riches. When we get to heaven, the crowns of people is the level of beauty and riches they exude when we see them. That's their crown. And we said number five is a symbol of holiness. And we explained that the reason why there's something called crown or reward system is because, you know, you know, many don't understand the salvation thing. Of course, it's because many have not been taught well. A lot of Christians think that being saved is not the journey to begin to look for what God can do for you. That's secondary. In salvation, you have to look for God's interest, not your interest. And we say that, you see, in salvation, you profited from God. You profited from him, salvation. But living the life of salvation, God must profit from you. And you need to ask yourself a very big question. Is God profiting from you? Ever since you got born again, has God profited or harvested some fruit in your life? You need to ask yourself that million dollar question. How much has God profited from you ever since you got born again? So till the people go to church, trusting God for miracle. And all their lives are founded on self. Even our gospel music today is all about self. So we don't get this thing. Look here. In salvation, it is founded on your faith in Christ. Please follow this thing up. But we need to understand that we will give an account of our lives to Jesus Christ. And the account we give is to God, or the account we will give to God is not on the basis of faith. It's on the basis of what? Your works. So that is where the confusion is. Some believe that it is your works that will make you saved. So when you do good, then you'll be saved. Far be it from it. If works makes you saved, there was no need for the blood of Jesus. following then some also come to the extreme that okay my works doesn't save me therefore my works doesn't matter anymore that's also another extreme error because your faith brings your salvation for by grace are we saved through faith but your works and you rewards in heaven. are you following so in first corinthians chapter 3 the verse 8 Watch that. The Bible says, Now he that planted and he that watered are one. And every man, talking of the Christian, shall receive his own reward according to his faith, right? According to his what? Own, it is a labor, his own labor. According to his own labor. That labor is not laboring for your bank I said something here that labor is not laboring to pass an exam I hope you are aware that labor is laboring in Christ for Christ through Christ and with Christ 
I'm teaching good here. So we began to look at the first crown in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We said the first crown is called the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. The crown of righteousness. Now, we said the crown of righteousness is the reward the believer receives for how he lived in anticipation of the return of Christ. Is the reward that is received as a believer who anticipates the coming of Jesus Christ and therefore conducts his life in that light. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept my faith. The faith, sorry. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the, the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. That means there is a day. Tell somebody there is a day. He says, not to me only, but also unto all them that love his appearing. So this crown is going to be given to believers who love the appearing of Jesus. And I said, loving the appearance of Jesus is not saying, Jesus, I love your appearance. Jesus, I want you to appear. Jesus, I'm waiting for your return. It, it's far beyond that. And we explain in 2 John, 1 John chapter 2, the verse, chapter 3, the verse 2. We explain what it means to live in anticipation of the return of Christ because that is where the reward is coming from. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it do not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, follow the next verse. He says, And every man that has this hope, remember the verse 2 says, When he appears, we shall be like him. That means there is a second appearing of Jesus Christ. Jesus is returning. He's coming back. And this is our hope. But this is not an irresponsible hope. Please follow me. This is not an irresponsible hope saying that I'm hoping that Jesus Christ is going to come. No. He says, and every man that has this hope in him purified himself even as he is pure. So, a man who is truly living in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ is a man that purifies himself even as his peer. Hallelujah. Are you following this thing? So, we said, the reward or the crown of righteousness is determined by how righteously you lived in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. It's a royal badge of honor given to those who lived a pure life, walked in righteousness, as they awaited Christ's return. Following? Following? 
So for every righteous act you did for his name, Jesus is going to reward you for it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says something to Timothy. He says, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, follow righteousness. Now, give that to me in NLT so that it becomes more clearer. Watch that. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. So that means youthful lusts don't just come because it comes. There is something you can do that stimulates it. It can come by watching Spartacus. It can come by watching things that helps the lust to grow more. Okay, let me continue. He said, instead, pursue Hi, have you found a man who is pursuing his doctorate before? You see the pressure on that man when he's pursuing a course. There is a pressure that hits him. He has to wake up at dawn. He has to. He has to study. He has to do presentation. He, he has to work for exams. He he has to put things together to be able to be able to pass that that course. He says, pursue righteous living. So righteous living is a pursuit. It's a pursuit. He says, pursue righteous living. That means chase after righteous living. Chase after it. Tell somebody, chase after righteous living. So, righteous living is a pursuit. You advance towards living right. Remember, you are not advancing or pursuing righteousness so that you can be saved. Because salvation is founded on what? The blood of Christ. And your faith in it. Please follow. How are you saved? By grace through faith. So you are saved by grace through faith. But you are rewarded by works. And we said the first reward or the crown is called the crown of righteousness. Are you following this thing? Are you getting it? Good. Now, look at Titus chapter 2, the verse 11. Titus 2, 11. Follow. He says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Now, look at the next verse. He says, Teaching us that, so this is what grace that. He says, Denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world so the bible is teaching us how we should live you, if there's no space get, get, get them to fill all these, these places get them to fill all these places Are you following this thing? So don't be distracted, okay? So look at 1 John chapter 3, the verse 7. 1 John 3, 7. Now, please follow this, okay? Watch. He says, little children, let no man deceive you. 
He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Why did John write this thing? Look, he says, little children, let no man deceive you. That means there were people that were deceiving them. There were people that were deceiving them. What were they deceiving them about? You can deduce the deceit from what he is warning them from. He says, he that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. That means someone was deceiving them that doing what is right is not necessary. Is it getting there? Maybe I should give you a little background of the book of John. Now, John was actually combating a certain system or a system of teaching that was going on in his church. There were false teachers that were teaching them that, hey, they were called Gnostics. Follow that. They were teaching them that, hey, this Christ that you are following does not even have human flesh. Christ came as a spirit. He didn't come as a human body. Please follow. Do you remember there's a, there's a place in 1 John chapter 4 which says that everybody that does not believe that Jesus came in the flesh, he says that's the Antichrist, right? So there were people who were convincing them that Jesus did not come in a physical body. He came in a spirit form. They were called Gnostics. These people didn't believe in the physical manifestation of Jesus in the flesh. So they taught people that, hey, fine, you have to believe in Christ. But when you believe in Christ, what you do with your body does not count. Because even Christ did not appear physically. And if he did not appear physically, the physical life he lived was not necessary. So believing in Jesus makes you righteous. And that was all. So now, of course, Bad Christology will lead to bad morality. If your understanding of Christ is bad, the way you live in Christ will be affected. Now, imagine if I keep telling you that you have been made righteous by faith in Christ. And that is all there is about the doctrine of righteousness. Soon as you keep hearing it, when you keep hearing that you are only made righteous by faith, then soon you will come to the conclusion that, okay, if I am only made righteous by faith, that means what I do with my body does not count. So soon, that distorted or that unbalanced perspective you have about uh, righteousness can now change your moral life. That's why I said bad Christology will lead to what? Bad morality. Today, the reason why many Christians, many youth are living anyhow is because of the kind of Christology that has been explained to them. I'm teaching you. So, what these Gnostics did was that they disconnected Christ from his physical body. And since you disconnect Christ from his physical body, you obviously disconnect the Christian from his physical body. So, you will say that my Christianity is in my heart. Have you heard that before? Some say, no, it doesn't matter. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Let me live my life. God, in the judgment day, God will know whether I'm truly a Christian. Because my Christianity is in my heart.
you know, so many Christians are deceiving themselves. That once I, I, I kneel down and pray, it's okay to be with a sugar daddy. At least because my Christian life is in my heart. When I wake up in the morning, I will just pray in the morning. And God knows, God says, my sister, I love the way you are praying. But you don't worry. You are chasing someone's husband. It's okay. But you are at least you are praying. You are paying good offering. So my daughter is fine. That's what they were teaching them. So they were being taught to separate their spiritual life from their physical living. So as long as you are righteous in Christ and that righteousness is in your spirit, there is no need for you to live a righteous life in the flesh. That was the teaching that was going on. And God says, no! It can't happen here. He says, he says, let no one deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. That means righteous living does not make salvation, but righteous living confirms salvation. Because when sin got into your spirit, soon it began to produce a certain attitude from you. No one taught you to lie. But a child of two years now knows how to lie. He did not go to the school of lying. His parents did not teach him how to lie. But soon you find a child lying. Who taught a child how to envy? Who taught a child how to be selfish? It is what sin produces in a man because man is a sinner. And many don't understand this thing about sin. You need to understand there's a difference between sin and sins. Sin is a principle. Sins is the practice. Sin is the seed. Sins is the fruit. Are you following this thing at all? So, in other words, if righteousness is first is a seed, if it's first a seed, it will surely produce a certain fruit. That's what John is saying. I'm helping someone here. So, the deceivers were saying, you can be righteous, and yet not practice righteousness that's what they were saying then john says the only people that are righteous are those who practice it that's what they were saying they were saying that you can be righteous without practicing righteousness john was saying the only people who are righteous are the ones who practice righteousness because if you are truly righteous by faith in christ it will reflect in how you live In other words, John was saying that doing confirms being. So, doing does not make you become who you are in Christ. But doing confirms that you are truly who you say you are in Christ. You can be a mango tree and produce guava fruit. In this life is a negative miracle if you find a Christian living his life constantly in rebellion to God's standard that Christian is living miraculously in the opposite direction you are a miracle you, you are shocked because you you are like a mango tree that is producing Guava or papaw fruit. Uh, 
I'm teaching good here. Oh, you don't like that teaching, right? You know, you know, want me to say that God is going to change your destiny because God is a destiny changer, right? I'm not that kind of preacher. In three days' time, God is going to visit you in your house and God is going to surprise you with a new car. I wish I could say that, but you know, my my duty is to establish saints. You cannot be under my ministry for six months and not start growing or not try to pursue growth. Something will happen to you, start feeling your potos will start shaking. <laughs> no, 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 you can't be okay. I'm teaching good. Now, look at the next verse. How John begins to advance the thing? Look, he says, he that committed sin is of the devil. Hey, John, take your time. <laughs> then he goes on to say, for the devil sinned from the beginning. Then he says, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. In context, what is the works of the devil? Sinning. Now, look at the next verse. He says, whosoever is born of God, do not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Look at the next verse. He says, in this, the children of God are manifest. If you want to see who a child of God is, he says, this is how it is manifested. Watch. And the children of the devil. So this is how we group children of God and children of the devil. Please be careful as you read. He says, Whosoever doeth not righteousness. In other words, whosoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. He says, Neither he that loveth not his brother. Look. So, a Christian who can forgive another Christian. He says he's a, he's a product of the University of Satan. <laughs> if this does not harm you, I don't know what else can. Next week doing a love feast, I'll be teaching on love. <laughs> and I can I can assure you, come with the helmet of salvation because you will not be okay. <laughs> so every believer that lives in anticipation of the return of Christ and conducts himself in the life of righteousness is that believer who is entitled to the crown of righteousness. And I explained to you three lights of righteousness. When you are reading the New Testament, be very careful. You've got to read by taking your time. 
because there are some words that mean one thing and that same word will mean another thing depending on the context for example when you read the new testament you see the word salvation different times but if you are not careful you may think every salvation you see there is referring to you being saved to go to heaven are you following this thing so it's the same with righteousness if you don't understand this thing you may think anytime you see righteousness it's meaning one thing so i explained to you that in the new testament righteousness can be seen in three lights the first light of righteousness is what we call the gift of righteousness which many believers are ignorant so they are seeking to establish their own righteousness listen until god makes you right you can't live right God must first acquit and discharge you. He must impart righteousness in your spirit when you believe in Christ before you have what it takes to produce that righteousness. So righteousness is first a gift. When you believe Jesus, he gives you the gift of righteousness. Because listen, in your own human standard, when you want to live right, then God gives you the 10 commandments and 611 laws. And God says, if you are able to obey this, then you can be qualified for us to talk about righteousness. But the problem is that right from the time the old covenant was established in Exodus 19, no man for 1,500 years was able to fulfill the law. And many of you think the law is just the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was a subset of the law. The law in itself, in, in entirety, was 613. And guess what? If you break one, you have broken all. And if you obey one, you must obey all. Oh, you don't know this. James chapter 2, the verse 10. So that some lawyers can be exposed. Not as above, of course. I mean, those who practice the law of Moses. He says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Hey! So, Christians say that, hey, do you know we are supposed to obey the law so that we can become righteous? We are supposed to obey the law so that when Jesus comes, we go to heaven. Uh, you don't know what you are begging for. Once you decide to obey one law, thou shalt not, just one, you are committed to obey the rest of them. And when you disobey one, you have disobeyed what? All of them. Is it possible to attain righteousness by that standard? It's not possible now. So now, every time you go by this, you, you, you be in trouble. In fact, there was a law that stated that you should not shave your beard. How many of you have been keeping your beard since you were a child? It was a sin to shave. Thank you for that look. There was a law that stated that you are not supposed to touch anything dead. If you touch anything that is dead, you have sinned. You have defiled yourself. How many mosquitoes have you killed this month? How many dead cockroaches in your hostel have you taken and putting in the dustbin this week? Are you getting this thing? So, touching anything dead is sinful. So, this is also part of the law. If you hurt yourself and you injure yourself, you are not supposed to come to the congregation. In other words, you are not supposed to come to church. Hey, That standard is very high. Nobody quoted it. So Paul comes in Romans chapter 10, the verse 3, he says something striking there. Look, for they, that is Israel, being 
ignorant of God's righteousness. So there are two kinds of righteousness in New Testament. Righteousness that come by the works of the law, which is invalid. You can never be righteous by obeying the law. Then he says righteousness by faith. So he says, for their being ignorant, a believer who thinks he's made righteous by what he does is a believer who is ignorant of God's righteousness system. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Look at the next verse, the verse 4. He says, for Christ Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So when a man believes Jesus Christ, he has come to an end of every effort in his strength to become righteous. I told you I went to India to go and do some crusades. There was one church I went to, I asked who is righteous. Nobody, nobody lifted up their hands, including the pastor and the wife. So I knew that the problem is coming from the pew. And people don't understand the purpose of the pulpit. The pulpit is to pull people from the pit. But what we are doing is that we are pulling people into the pit. So if a pastor is corrupted in understanding, he will spread that corruption. So we are first righteous by faith in Christ Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. I'm righteous not because of what I did. You know, many Christians have told you, you they, when they realize the cause of the week, they have not done anything bad, then their confidence for prayer goes high. Pujakata, prakatanaka, repashanta kabele kipala kapulu kupas. That means that week for seven days, everything is fine. The day they messed up. Jesus. If we They'll pray a little. They'll find out their prayer is not working. Then they'll just be silent. So when we are praying in a certain anointing, if you realize someone is silent, someone is knocking him. The devil is knocking him. Hey. Hey. What right do you have to pray? Shut up. Then he's praying in his mind. The devil says, hey, jump by bono shinko, shinko. They are forcing yourself. Rakamana, rakamana, rakamana. Now can't see Stop speaking. Stop speaking. Dirty boy, look at you. You are dirty in and out, inside and outside. If Jesus comes today, you will not be allotted a portion. Then he starts praying. He says, Father, if it is possible, let this car pass for me. <laughs> you were a believer, the devil will manipulate. You know why? Because he will capitalize on your ignorance of God's righteous system to put you into bondage. Now, in as much as I do not approve you to do what is wrong, you need to understand that anytime the believer does what is wrong, what should bring him back is first of all his understanding of God's righteous system. So when he messes up, he faces Father, I thank you that you have made me righteous not because of what I do, but because of what you did for me on the cross. Therefore, I'm righteous. Now, the moment you get there, the devil knows that you know who you are. Therefore, he cannot bash your head again. Because you are wearing the helmet of salvation. 
then in the light of that gift you say father because you have made me righteous by my faith in Christ Jesus I want to apologize for what I did and I receive an empowerment from you to live right now you are being responsible you are being responsible now because you are not behaving as if you, you know there are Christians who sin and they know they, they have sinned yet they ignore it if you are a believer who keeps on sinning when you know in your heart that what you are doing is wrong guess what is going to happen the Holy Spirit is your helper he's going to keep convicting you and reminding you that hey this is not right this goes against God's word this is not God's standard the moment you keep ignoring that voice what is going to happen is that the voice of the Holy Spirit is going to be small it's going to mute you will soon not hear him again so now you think that his, his silence is approval so now you hear him again because the Holy Spirit is gentle he will not force you to do what is right he will help you to do what is right that's why every believer must have a contract heart the moment you mess up you just kneel if you are alone he said Holy Spirit I'm sorry don't pretend it didn't happen that is if you want to grow spiritually if you care about your relationship with Jesus that is if you care and if you are a believer who does not care you will soon care so the first thing to know is that God's righteousness to you is a gift you don't have to live right to become righteous that is the lie many people don't, don't know we don't do right to be made right we have to believe right to be made right who do we believe? Jesus in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 the Bible says therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh shall be justified or made righteous in his sight look now, now I'm just giving you what the scripture is saying. The problem is that many Christians don't understand the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. There is a big difference. In the Old Testament, God dealt with slaves. In the New, he deals with sons. In the Old, we were led by the law of Moses. In the New, we are led by the Holy Ghost. In the Old, you know, in the Old, they had a law system. In the New, we have a spirit system and a word system that guides our life in the old the focus was on the sin of man in the new the focus is on the son of God who took the sin of man to make the man of sin the son of God so there is a big difference many Christians don't understand in the old the Bible says the soul that sin shall die in the new the Bible says if any man sins we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and he is a propitiation for our sins not only for us only but the whole world so what happened to men when they seen the old today it can't happen to us why because Jesus came in the way he came in the way and took that sin in the old sin separated man from God so this is man this is God he wants to come but this thing is a barrier in the new Jesus became sin took it out of the way by nailing himself on the cross and by taking sin there is no barrier so the Bible says nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing can separate the believer from God. And people don't get this thing. It's true. 
When the believer is saved, he's saved to the uttermost, not to the guttermost. Any believer who is still sitting here listening to me, who is not sure of his salvation, is a believer, the devil will be sure to hurt. Are you saved? Yes. How do you know you are saved? Because I went to church. Uh, uh, uh. Wrong. You were a target for the devil. Because I lived right this week. Target for the devil. How are you saved? Yes. How do you, how, you, how do you know you are saved? Because I believed in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. I believe that God raised him from the dead. Yes, that's how you are saved. I've been telling people everywhere I go. I keep repeating because many don't understand salvation. Imagine we get to heaven we are all lined up. And they ask you, Angel Michael, how did you get here? He says, I got here because I paid my tithe. They clap for you. How did you get here? I got here because I was giving to the poor. They clap for you. How did you get here? Because I got here because I never sinned. They clap for you. How did you get here? I got here because I was a faithful usher. Guess what? Does Jesus get any glory? Why? Because everybody had different reasons for appearing in heaven. So your appearance was on account of what you did. Therefore, the blood of Jesus is useless and that's an insult to his finished work. But imagine we all get to heaven and Jesus asks you, how did you get here? Faith in Christ. How do you get faith in Christ? How do you get here? Faith in Christ. How do you get here? faith in Christ? There's a common ground, and Jesus takes the glory that it was his blood that brought man into salvation. But now, when we appear in heaven as believers, the question is not how did you get here? <laughs> when we appear in heaven, what did you do with the life I gave to you? So in heaven. How faithful were you? Not how did you get here? So, what Jesus will say to you after judgment is thou good and faithful servant. So, after salvation, the next best thing is service. We serve him. We serve him. And that's what many young men and young women want to do again. They don't want to serve him. But trust me, there will be whipping and gnashing of teeth. That whipping and gnashing of teeth is when Jesus shows you all the opportunities you had to make a difference with your life. And you chose to ignore it and choose pleasure over Christ. Trust me, there is no pleasure than the pleasure we have in Christ. Praying the Holy Ghost is pleasure. Reading your Bible is pleasure. Listen, if you want to watch movie, the real movie is in David's story, is in Noah. Is, the real movie is here. Watch it. You cannot read the story of Moses and have ejaculation. Akuba rasa tema. Let's. But you can peep through some other system called Netflix before you realize you'll become conflicts. <laughs> let's continue <laughs> so you are made righteous by faith in Christ tell somebody I'm righteous ask him are you ask somebody are you righteous 
If the person says yes, ask him, how are you righteous? What's, what's the reply? By faith! I'm righteous! It's an empowerment. I'm telling you, I'm righteous. It's an empowerment. Listen, you must keep saying this thing until it gets to you. Listen, learn to say you are righteous thousand times a day. It will affect your actions. Because that's your position in Christ. Listen, when a man who is dirty on the streets is picked up and declared the president of Ghana, that's change of position. And change of position eventually changes behavior and conduct. That man, if he has been eating at a CB, that man will stop and not be having lunch in a buffet setting in Kimpiski Hotel. If that man was weaving everywhere, now that man has to wee in a private jet. <laughs> now he can't wee anywhere. Now, if you were his former friend and you thought because you knew this guy, so you can come and say, What's up? You will what's up in the hospital. Because some guys will discipline you, they will assume you are coming to murder him. Everything about that man changes. And that position begins to change his behavior. If he was talking anyhow, now they begin to train him on how presidents talk. Ghana for. My fellow Ghanaians, it has come to my notice that you people are not wearing your nose masks. So position eventually changes conduct. So the more you know your righteous position in Christ, soon, the moment you are saying you are righteous and there's an opportunity, a very welcoming opportunity to do what is not right before you, you, because you remembered your position in Christ, it begins to affect you. Or even after you are done with it, now you are not okay. There's a difference between grieving sin and living in condemnation. They are not the same. Every believer must grieve sin because sin is against or contrary to God's purposes. But to live in condemnation is to begin to think that God is going to punish you and take you to hell because you did that's condemnation. But grieving sin, he said, No, I'm a child of God. This is contrary to my new life. God does not approve this. And you did it. Now you begin to grieve. That's not condemnation. Praise God. But you see, that begins to come when you begin to grow. It's not automatic. The more you draw closer to him, he begins to teach you his ways. That's where we come to the second light of righteousness, which is called the fruit of righteousness. So the first is the gift. It comes by faith. The fruit is now what you produce out of that gift. Because that gift, it gives to you as righteousness. It's a seed inside you. The more you keep watering it with the word of God, the more you keep fellowshipping, the more you keep coming to church services, anointed meetings, the more you keep fellowship with believers. Now you begin to, your appetites begin to change, your spiritual appetites, your yearnings, your desires, everything, be, everything is affected. It is curbed in the line of God, in the direction of God. That's what God does to you. So it begins to produce a certain kind of fruit. That guy that enjoyed masturbation, now he's about to do it, and he's like, no, there's a certain holy flavor that is stirred in his heart. And he, he begins to think, no, this is not right. 
Now he's not thinking when he does, he's going to hell again. That's not how he's thinking. Now he's thinking, no, this is not me. Jesus gave me white clothes. I can't defile it. So your appetites begin to change. Then you begin to produce a certain kind of life. We call that the fruits of righteousness. At first you, you are enjoying clubbing. Now you are going and something is resisting you. Why? Because you have started, you have started watering yourself with the word of God. You started praying in tongues, praying the spirit early in the morning. So now the Holy Ghost voice is getting louder. You start getting uncomfortable about the things you were formerly comfortable about. Now you're uncomfortable. Something in you is telling you this is not right. It's the Holy Spirit not working in you. Because living righteously is an empowerment from the Holy Ghost. It's not using me, Jesus. I swear, LLA, me, I won't do what is wrong this week. I'll shock you this year. That's not what I'm talking about. It's living a life depending on God as your strength. See, as I'm teaching you, addictions are broken in the spirit. I'm telling you. Then, because you decided to be a responsible believer, because many believers are not responsible, they don't care about the outcome of your lives. They don't care who, who is perishing because of your actions. Then when we appear in eternity, God begins to give us the reward or what we call the crown of righteousness. He crowns you with it. It's a reward for how right you lived. Am I helping somebody? Romans chapter 6 the verse 13. He says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, this one is not an automatic work. This is responsibility. It's your job. He says, neither yield your members. So, if a believer gives in to lie, what he's doing is that he's yielding his members as instrument for lies. That means you are presenting yourself. You, have, you are giving in. You are giving in yourself. So a believer can give in. So he says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. So you have a choice after salvation. Just like you have a choice in salvation. In salvation, you have a choice of choosing to believe Jesus Christ or not. In your Christian life, you also have a choice of choosing to yield your members as instruments of righteousness or as instruments of unrighteousness. So he's telling you that but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, what are the members? The parts of your body. Because everything you commit, it is one part of your body that is helping you to accomplish it. Bitterness cannot be seen in your hands, but it can be seen in your heart. And your heart is a member of your body. So now, take a quick scan. Look at every member of your body. Which one is contributing more to sin? If it's your thoughts, that means you have not yielded your thoughts to the thoughts of God. 
If it's your eyes, that means there are things you are yielding your eyes to which you are not. If it's your ears, that means there are things you are beginning to hear that is not making you yield. So the ears are not yielded to God. Someone says, I want to hear the voice of God. You want to hear the voice of God. What kind of things have you been listening when you are sleeping and when you are awake? Hearing the voice of God is work. So, you, you can yield the members of your body. Your heart can yield. Your legs can yield. Your head can yield. Your ears can yield. Other sensitive parts of your body can yield. If I look you can yield it deliberately. When you know you were Christian, you can yield it deliberately. That's when you don't care. But you see, that life will soon corrupt you. Let me give you the second crown. That we continue next week. The second crown is what we call the victor's crown or the incorruptible crown. The victor's crown or the incorruptible crown. First Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 to 27. Dear Lord, help me. The apostle says, Know ye not that they which run. So this crown is for those that are sensitive to the fact that they are spiritual athletes. They which run, run all. But one received the price. So Paul says, So run that ye may obtain. He didn't say so that you may have it as a gift. Are you getting this thing? Has any athlete run uh, as, a, as a gift before? That he's running free of charge. There is a motivation. All the training he's doing for four years is because he wants to have a medallion and the cash that comes along with it. So he's saying, run that ye may obtain. Run that ye may obtain. Next verse. All athletes are disciplined in their training. So he's telling you that this reward is a reward that will be given for disciplined believers who know how to run their race. <laughs> he says they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Next verse. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Next verse. I discipline my body <laughs> like an athlete training it to do what it should. There are some of you, your body is now your master. It tells you what to eat and the quantity to eat. That's why you can still eat when you are still full because the body is controlling your appetite. Sleep is now your master. 
you see sleep is not a sin but it if it enslaves you it becomes sinful do you know the bible says whosoever knows what is good and yet does not do it to him it is sin are you aware so money in itself is not evil but when it leads your heart to greed that becomes sinful so what we are we are teaching here is that in this particular crown it only counts by discipline the sacrifices you have to to make for Jesus Christ the disciplines you have to put in place to be able to serve God he gives you rewards for that many of you don't know that all the fastings you fasted on earth all the all nights you were praying interceding for people when people are sleeping you subjected this body you need to ask yourself this question how far has your body been entertained in your life and some of you what your body tells you is what you do what you feel like doing is what you do if you are a Christian who lives that way trust me you are carnal you are fleshly believer because you are controlled by your flesh we are not supposed to be controlled by our flesh so the fact that you felt like doing something doesn't mean you should do it now do you wee wee on yourself because you felt like wee wee when you were in church why because you know that is not the right environment so you are able to tame the body and tell it to hold on by using the mechanism called self-control why don't you apply this principle in every area of your life i know how to abound and how to abase i won't watch this movie from 12 p.m to 6 p.m six hours of wasted life multiply it by one year aren't you scared you are not scared of the direction where your life is going you have wasted eight hours every single day for one year when you can you, you could have divided it you can just watch two episodes you are done for the day then you begin to invest that time also in God listen if you end a 24 hour without God in it you are a wicked believer I said it ILP 2021 <laughs> if you are a believer who lives life without God for 24 hours God was not involved not praises not worship not prayer not reading your Bible nothing about God you ended your day and someone asks you how was your day you say it went well you were a wicked believer your day never went well Charles Spurgeon said a day without reading your Bible is a wasted day you are wicked because you are 24 hours and in the 24 hours God was excluded so question who are you living for and what are you living for hey 24 hours without God multiplying that by 5 years so you you live without God the closest entity the one who lives in your heart 
for five years you never prayed five years you never opened your bible your bible is too new now dust akataso you don't have believing friends who ginger you to serve God who pull some fire in you imagine you appear in heaven hey I, 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 I can't imagine your shame before the throne I can't imagine your, your shame will be too shameful I'm telling you and you will weep and Jesus will wipe away your tears but what is going to happen is that there's a certain degree of glory you will never harvest. And that shame will live with you in eternity. Can you imagine? Just close your eyes. Say some silent prayers to God now. Say some silent prayers to him. Tell him about your Christian life. Tell him that you have realized that you were going to church, but God was not your focus. Tell him that you are sorry you have been living a selfish life that excluded him. Tell him you want him to help you to be responsible and disciplined. This is a hard check. This is a hard check. Life without God is useless. Life without God is useless. Pray to the Lord Jesus. I want to see your face. I want to know your ways. I want to touch your grace. So I could leave your days. I want to see if. Come on, lift your voice and pray. Oh, oh I want to see you. I want to see you. Please, you need to mean this prayer. You're not praying for any man, it's you. It's you. It's you. Maybe there's something you are doing you know it's not bringing glory to God. And you, you, you are ignoring God in this matter. You are living as though that thing is not existing. Yet you know that is what is preventing you from having an encounter in your relationship with Him. Please tell Him, acknowledge your fault. Acknowledge. Because until you have acknowledged it, He can't help you. This is a heart check prayer you are praying. I want to see your face. I want to know your ways. I want to touch your grace. So I could leave your days. I want to see you. Oh, I want to see you. Become you. I will come. Oh. I will come oh become me oh and I will come oh become
I will come. Oh, talk to him. Ela mana ne felo livla sana na nijo, ifela na ne kora mana se sele mana nijo. You become me, Lord. You become me, Lord, and I will come. Search my heart, search my soul, search my heart and my mind and my soul. I wanna live for you, Jesus. I wanna live for you, Jesus. Allah so satai. Eva latakina malasi na lasha. Ole menika saki na ne mashero. Sele mamaria salane kubara sele na doakas. Ile mane kovela na nukubala diye sele kubara sali nukuba. Ibala na kulevra mambale la lora babale leli mamba. Ele menike febere ni na sola baye na nuna. Ivarasata kena ma eba barasata. Fully balen Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.